Thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 29 of 2021, and we are in the dead middle of summer. I think the high this week in my city was 59 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have Brian Deach. So, it is not anywhere near 59 degrees in Phoenix, Arizona. In fact, I think it's 109, and I have been running five miles every single day not in the dead of heat, but actually on a treadmill. So you guys should feel really bad for me because that is probably the most boring thing you can do inside. I also learned not to challenge you in an Apple Watch Fitness uh, competition anytime soon. And we also have Glenn Medina back this week. Welcome back, Glenn. Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for joining us for podcast number 16. Thanks to my co-hosts, Chris and Brian, for holding up the podcast last week and to Chris Hubert as well for joining last week's for last week's call. It's been crazy this past week and I hope to settle back into some normalcy. We're heading back to triple digits here in Northern California, not the Bay Area like where Chris is. And I hope to spend some time in the water or at least near it. Our guest for this week is Ryan Payne. Ryan, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks Chris. Hey everyone, I'm Ryan Payne. I am also an SE here at Zscaler. Um, and I've been here for almost two years, so that makes me one of the most veterans that there is. Um, unlike a lot of people, I actually joined from the customer side. So now I get to spread the love of cloud security with all of my customers out here. Hey, Ryan, who told you to come here, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky I had Brian Deach as a mentor. <laughs> nice. Welcome, Brian. Ryan. <laughs> Welcome, Brian and Ryan. That's right. And Glenn. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got four awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, before the show got started, Ryan told us that he's a huge Phoenix Suns fan, and he actually lost his voice attending one of the uh, playoff games this week. The Stanley Cup playoffs are going on right now. Maybe we'll have a winner by the time the show airs. But it's hard to be a fan of basketball and hockey at the same time because their playoffs just happen at the exact same time. What sports teams do you guys follow religiously, if any? Yeah, I'll go first. I watch my kids volleyball. So local volleyball, awesome, fun to watch. Been watching them since they were 10, 12 years old. Slow at first, but when they get to about 16, 17, 18, it speeds up a lot. So it's very fun to watch my own kids. How am I supposed to top that? Jeez, dude. <laughs> I just, Sorry, man. I follow Tom Brady. Like, wherever he goes, that's my guy. That's my <laughs> dude, right? Uh, and I'll be honest with you. I haven't, I probably haven't watched any NBA since, well, let me re- take a step back. I've watched the NBA here and there pretty much just to hate LeBron. Cause anytime you compare like LeBron, LeBron to like MJ or, you know, the Golden State Warriors to the, to the, uh, to the Bulls, like I'm just like immediately just shut off, right? I want nothing to do with you. You're dumb. I'm moving on. <laughs> Um, but I am watching the, the Suns in, in the playoffs. I think it's been since like 93 since they were there. And that doesn't sound that long. And so you do the math. You're like, oh, I'm old. I was and born is... in 92. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this is a different Phoenix Sun team than the Charles Barkley days. This is nowhere close to anything. Like I said, I don't think there's there's not even a, a coach or a, a trainer that's from those days in this time. Am I right with that, Ryan? Pretty close. That's it? It's like a brand new franchise. 
Yeah, for me, I was born and raised in San Francisco, so naturally the Giants, the 49ers, the Warriors, and they've all had their turn at doing well, and I think they're, they're in rebuild mode now, but still, still like to root for the home teams. You probably have that t-shirt that says, go local sports team, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> it's better than um, anyone. Uh, I, 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 I'm for anyone other than was it the, uh, the 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 Cowboys, right? Anyone playing the Cowboys is who I root for. <laughs> yeah, that's funny in sports because you can have your favorite team, but then you you also have some people like like Brian that are just anti one team or anti some pr- particular player. Yeah, I watch I watch sports just to hate it. <laughs> Who does that? Brian does. I do. I do. All right, on to our first story. Four U.S. states are considering legislation banning ransomware payments. Their goal is to remove the financial incentive for ransomware attackers. The thought is, if they can't get paid, they will stop spreading their ransomware. Now... Personally, I see this to be ineffective for a number of reasons. In 2019, after a rash of cities and municipalities got hit with major ransomware attacks, a coalition of mayors in America agreed not to pay ransomware. These were the largest cities all over the U.S. The U.S. Treasury already sanctions ransomware operators such as Evil Corp and explicitly bans payments to a list of sanctioned entities, including many ransomware crews. After this happened, there's really not a drop in ransomware. In fact, I think it's actually accelerated after this. So just simply banning payments hasn't really done anything to stop this this ransomware scourge. Yeah, so is this just like, you know, banning guns, where if you just don't have guns, then crime will decrease, which I think it has increased in New York and Chicago. Sorry, I don't mean to get on a soapbox. That's the last thing we need is more government regulation and like i said i'm not i'm neither f- nor for guns nor against guns but the whole idea that just because you ban something something will lessen that's just total idiocracy there to be clear i am for all the guns this <laughs> like i love them all this for, for those of you listening i can't get enough of them we're like that out here in arizona i think it is an interesting topic though um it really depends where that ransomware is as well, because if you take you know, like a healthcare company, for example, um, depending how deep those attackers are, you know they could have access to machines that are keeping people alive. And if you don't pay that ransom, it could end up meaning someone's life. So I think it really depends on what those situations are as well. What's What states were considering this, did it say? Yeah, it was in the article. I think it was New York and I think there's some other states on the East Coast. I don't remember the exact four, but the, there are at least four states now talking about it, hoping to get more people on board. I think I'm just going to create some ransomware that like infiltrates, right? And this goes ahead and just makes the payment and then just takes itself out of the network. And this leaves you with a receipt like, hey, we breached you. Uh, this is what we did. And we took like, you know, $2 billion and call it a day. That's what they should be doing. Right? Like, why wait for a payment? Just go get your money yourself. I love when I, yeah. I love when I say stupid things like this. Everyone's like, oh, God. <laughs> You're Brian, Brian again. Not thinking nice. Well, yeah, I, I think you may, have, you may be on to the next it's level crazy. of attack here, right? It's like, just go take the money. <laughs> yeah. Find the money, take the money, right? 
Yeah, an interesting alternative, I think, is to ban insurance companies from paying ransom payments. So instead of flat out saying you you can't pay because, I mean, let's be real, there are some companies that would no longer exist if they couldn't make the payment. They don't have bulletproof backups. They don't have adequate backups. They would just no longer exist if they weren't able to pay. And France already did this, and Axe Insurance was the first to come out saying they will no longer pay ransomware payments in France. And this move would remove that security blanket that organizations have and force them to focus more on the prevention side rather than the remediation because they can just, right now they're thinking, yeah, if we get hit, we're insured, they'll pay, so we don't have to take security seriously or as serious. But if they were on the hook for $11 million or $40 million, they might start to take things more seriously. I don't think people really understand how often this is really going on. Like We talk about it weekly that another company had ransomware hit and they decided to pay. But there are so many companies that are probably privately held that are that are just making the payments that it doesn't even make the news. And I, and I say this because I talk to a lot of people, right? And this is something that's kind of common. Four in the last week. This, this is insane to me. What do you guys think? Is it is it for every one story, you think it's uh, tenfold or a hundredfold? Like how? how... Yeah, and that's, that's probably what makes the news too, like you said, right? Right, Brian? I mean, it's how many are out there that don't? And it's small, small shop companies, you know, sub 1,000 or sub 2,000 employees. Yeah, four in a week seems extremely low. I, w- I would say you're off by a factor of 25 to 50 maybe. No, I'm saying I've spoken like to four companies in a week that have all been uh, hit with it that, that have paid. And now they're trying to put the band-aid back on there. But it's not public knowledge. Right, That's insane. Right. Granted, we work yeah, for a security that, company, but still, that's that's a lot, man. Yeah, and I, I think another alternative people have been floating is the mandatory reporting requirement that if you are hit with ransomware, you have to report it. And a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about how the government is now treating, or the I think the DOJ is now treating ransomware the same as terrorism with the same level of priority. So they can start tracking these things. So they can collect the data, they can build their case instead of having a, this patchwork of, you know, these this office got hit here, this office got hit here, they could really start putting that data together and really building their case. So if they had some type of mandatory reporting requirement, that could really elevate the level of intelligence we have. Because like you said, Ryan, if, if you don't report it, we just don't know about it and the authorities can't do anything about it. I think one alternative to this, or one of the, one of the ways the ransomware crews will get around this as well is they're just going to pivot their business model. When companies started having bulletproof backups, then they started stealing their data. So now ransomware crews might just skip the ransomware part and just steal the data because the the meat processing company, JBS, they got hit with ransomware. They did pay the $11 million ransom to the ransomware crew, but they also admitted they fully recovered from backups on their own. And the thought behind that of why they did that, they did that to prevent the data from being published because that's what ransomware crews do nowadays. They steal the data and threaten to publish it. And they also wanted to stop potential further attacks because we've talked about the eviction problem where it's really hard to know that you got these guys out of your network. How do you know they're not still there and they're just ransomware you again after you restore from backup? So you're, what you're saying is paying the ransomware assures an honor among thieves that they won't come back in and 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 steal your stuff again the next week? Is that is that how I hear that? I would say the top tier 
ransomware groups, things like R-Evil, Sudino Kibi, um, even Darkseid to some extent. Like they're people of their word. If you pay them, you will get your data back and they promise not to publish it. There are some, of course, there there's some dozens, if not hundreds of unethical ransomware crews out there that will keep re-ransoming your data or publishing your data even after they say they won't. But the entire ransomware business model depends on you pay the money, you get what they promise. And if they go back on that, then this whole model falls apart. Yeah. So I lived a somewhat checkered past back in the day, right? And I, I can talk about this particular thing because it's, it's been long enough. And uh, anyways, I was getting ready to leave somewhere. And I decided that like, it's the persistence and the patience is what kind of comes into play here. And my idea would be, my idea was with this, like a, a DOS batch, uh, batch script was to go out there and anytime a user logs in, uh, it goes out to their home directory and just changes the archive bit to, to don't archive, like as if it hasn't changed. Right. And I also understood that the, the backup only occurred like a full backup every three months. So if I let this run in theory for six months before deleting everything, right. Then all of a sudden they could restore from backup, but now you're dealing with content that could be three to six months old. And oh, by the way, the, the, the script also would reach out and map other network drives and other devices so that upon user login, it would go through there and reset that archive bit uh, throughout the entire organization. So I think, uh, you know, we talk about this, but it's, it's the classic game of cat and mouse, right? Eventually, if you're in there and if you want to do malicious stuff like this, be like, oh, yeah, you know, what? we're going to go back to tape backup. And be like, well, the late, the last tape backup that you have that's actually good is six months old. You're still going to pay for it. There's bad people out there that, that have that persistence and that patience to kind of see it through. Especially when I had nothing on the line. Like, you know what I mean? Like just being straight up. Like, it was nothing other than I wonder if I can do this type of mentality. Sure. So don't mess with Brian. I think that's the moral of the story here. Again, left you guys speechless. Jesus. <laughs> all right on to our next topic a bipartisan group of house lawmakers has introduced legislation that seeks to increase americans cybersecurity literacy and security awareness and this really comes after a spate of high profile cybersecurity incidents now now us working in the industry this is really nothing new to us but i think for the general public there's some kind of perception now that yeah, we have a huge cyber problem. Like, there's no gas on the East Coast. There's no steak at the supermarket because the meat processing plant got shut down. Like, it's, it's starting to affect average people. There's a bill called the American Cyber Security Literacy Act, which hopes to establish security awareness-style campaign to help U.S. citizens familiarize themselves with security risks and common criminal tactics, things like uh, phishing and the aim of that is to educate people, to teach them, you know, what is a phishing attack? Use multi multi-factor authentication, use a, a password manager, don't use the same password across all your websites. And, you know, I'm not a fan of controlling behavior by legislating your problems away, but I've always been a huge advocate of things like teaching financial literacy in high school. Like I, I never understood why we didn't know how to balance a checkbook or learn how credit cards work in, in high school. And I think cybersecurity literacy would be no different there's the more that you know out there it just makes it that much harder for for criminals so this is probably where my age is going to come in chris so in school back in the days you know when we had rocks and sticks and stones 
They actually had a class on balancing the checkbook <laughs> when I went to school. We actually had driver's ed training um, where we sat in these machines and it made it look like there was a road that we were driving on. Um, we had these classes, we had home ec classes and that was part of the curriculum back then. I don't know why they took it out, but it definitely was part of my curriculum when I was growing up. So I, I, I'm going to lean on the, the side of it takes a village. And you can ask any one of my kids' friends, what do you think of uh, you know Mikey's dad or Ellie's dad? And usually the response is going to be, we hate that guy because he talks to my mom and dad. And all of a sudden we have screen time and I can't get out to different things. Um, but I, I feel very passionate about not necessarily controlling, but educating on, on some of the stuff. Like, I think if you watch that, that, that movie, I can't even think about the, the name of it. It was on Netflix, that, that documentary about the phones, that social, yeah, dilemma. social dilemma. If you watch something like that, like you have to do anything. And it's not like I want to prevent my son or my daughters from being on Facebook or not even Facebook. They like TikTok, right. Or they like Snapchat eight hours a day. It's, it's more about their mental well health. And I've, and I've seen this, especially if you have girls, the way they perceive how they look, how they dress, how they do different things is is all influenced off of social media. So I think it, it's big. And then then across the board for both boys and girls would be the bullying, right? And that kind of stuff happens. And you have to, mom and dad have to monitor it. And yes, there is the notion that we can talk crap behind people's back, right? But then when you start doing it online, there's a, there's a history of it. And you have to kind of air in the whole, like, you know what? Maybe we don't want to be that person that is, you know, talking smack about so-and-so, right? It, it happens, and it, it's kind of sad. And, you know, there's a there's a comedy bit that says bullying actually saves lives that we won't get into right now that I, I somewhat agree with. But I, I do think that handing a 13-year-old kid, boy or girl, a phone is like handing them a loaded gun. At this point in life, there's this, there's so much bad stuff that's out there. And statistically, you know, the, the, the girl population, they're going to be a little bit more influenced by, again, this is just my opinion. They're going to be influenced by the Kim Kardashians of the world and stuff like that. What beauty really is. And the unfortunate fact statistically is these boys, they're, they're, they're going to get hung up on pornography, whatever, however you feel about that at 13 years old, that, that could be like mentally devastating in my opinion. I could be wrong. Um, but, I, you know, ha this hearing that we had a kid on a bus was sitting in the back showing everyone on there, you know, some adult website, like they're, they're seeing stuff they've never seen before. Right. Like to me, that is crazy. And I think that there's a there's a, you know, the the village responsibility here to, to take that on and, and not to be mean about it. Right. But just to help educate. Yeah, I mean, just go back to that. Right. If you know, we you know, in my family, we have no no screen time during dinner right so phones put away i don't want to see them at the dinner table if i hear it ring n no way right like put, it, you're not getting up to go answer it but you know i go out to dinner a lot you know with my family and you know as we travel and you, you you'll sit at dinner or at a restaurant and you'll see the whole family is on their is on their phone you know, or that, or the kids are watching their iPad while they're eating. And it's like, no one's interacting with each other at that time. And what, what a loss, right? What it, it's so much has changed from that, from the point where we actually can communicate with each other. 
at a dinner table without necessarily having a device to communicate. Like, it's funny, and along the same lines, I'll go to a party with a family. I mean, we, we had a gathering and the kids are texting each other, sitting right next to each other because that's how they communicate now instead of just talking. So it's strange. I think we've evolved, we've devolved as opposed to evolving with some of the technology that we have. Yeah. Ryan, I have a question for you. As a, as a young man with no kids, what are your perspectives on, like, kind of like what I have to say, how, how, uh, how Glenn sees people interacting nowadays? Do you see that too? Or are you so, like, hip and whatever that you just Snapchat your girlfriend uh, 99 times a day? I'm curious, man. <laughs> no, I, I'm an old soul. So, you know, I really believe in, you know, when you're spending quality time, uh, you know, with those people around you that you put the phone down. Um, you know, we even have a drinking game where at one point everyone has to put their phones down, face down on the table. And the first <laughs> one that decides to look at their phone, they have to drink. Uh, and that's the kind of, you know, <laughs> friends that I have. But I mean, as it relates to this article, I think there's two main pieces of it. There's how are you educating the younger people into being safe while they're on their devices? But then you've got older people as well. Uh, that have been doing it for a while. I think, you know, for kids, it's you need to have your parents kind of teach you these are the proper ways to do things. But if your parents don't know how to do that, how do you educate those people? I mean, we work for a cybersecurity company and we've got that mandatory security awareness training we have to take. And I think if you put it into like a government program, that becomes more of this is the government telling you what to do. But maybe you could incentivize it and say, oh, if you want to collect your unemployment <laughs> check, you have to take this mandatory cybersecurity awareness training. <laughs> on, on the note of old people, have you ever handed like an old person an iPad that's never experienced that before? It's like they, they it's like they kind of like look at it like they just found out they were adopted. They have no idea like what the heck is going on. So I have, it's sad to say this, but I've, I've kind of given up on my parents to, to, to some degree. Like I can only tell them so many times, like, Bill Gates doesn't want to, you know, help you and he doesn't need, you know, the, the IRS is not calling you to collect, you know, Xbox Live game cards for, for tax payments, right? But they, they still call once a week. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah, we actually got my grandparents an iPad at the beginning of COVID so that we could all Zoom with them. And I know that surprises you guys because I'm Mr. Anti-Apple, but uh, you'd be surprised to hear that my grandparents probably know more about Apple devices than I do. <laughs> it, it, it's an eye-opener for them though right to have that device and be able to have a video session with their grandchildren they're in disbelief because back then i mean I, I was talking to my parents and their method of communication was letters and when my dad was in the navy those letters would show up three four five weeks late to my mom and and he would send you know she would get a, a series of letters that were written over days and she would write back. And again, he, he said, you know, it would it'd be like three, four or five weeks before he would get them as well. And it, what was hilarious is they tell me is, you know, they'd be home. My dad would arrive home in port and my mom would still be getting letters from my dad when he was already home. So like I said, times have changed for them. Definitely. Yeah, it's an instant communication now. Yeah. Yeah. It makes their day when you get to get on a Zoom call with them and. It's funny how quickly now that they've got email so readily accessible, how many chain emails I get forwarded to me from my grandparents. And that's when I use the opportunity to say, hey, maybe you guys shouldn't be clicking on the links in those emails. You never know where they could be coming from. Look at this cool cat, Ryan. <laughs> Look at the things it can do. Yeah. 
right, on the topic of Apple devices, uh, I, I grew up in San Francisco, and you know, while I thought crime was bad when I did live there, uh, it, it's absolutely out of control today. And I distinctly remembered when when I lived and worked in the city when the iPhone and iPad came out in I think it was 20, 2007 and twenty ten respectively. I'd ride the bus to work and I'd constantly see someone sitting on their iPhone or their iPad and they were sort of near an exit door and right before the exit doors closed, someone would snatch the Apple device and make a run off the bus. And I've had the case where some of my coworkers also told me similar stories where homeless people would just ram someone with a shopping cart, knock someone over and then steal their phone. And the problem got so bad that Apple had to introduce their, their Apple ID lock, which makes it so you can't re-register the phone on a new account without logging out of your old account and you have to know the password and that essentially makes the device worthless except for parts but it's also ineffective because any manager of an apple store can override the lock and there are things like fake receipts and we can go on about that but yeah that's that's just not not an effective way uh, smartphones are typically sold for their resale value either the whole phone or its parts to a chop shop but a new twist on smartphone theft is emerging where thieves will search for passwords in unprotected areas of the phone, such as the Notes app on the iPhone. A locked phone is practically worthless, but thieves can swap out the SIM card into an unlocked phone and use SMS-based password reset to gain access to iCloud accounts or Gmail accounts. And if they gain access to iCloud, the Notes app will automatically sync and download all those unencrypted passwords and I know, Brian, after episode two, when we talked about password managers, you said you switched your family to LastPass so your wife and kids would stop that behavior and not put it in their notes app or not email it to themselves. So I think that was a good move. There's still passwords in the freaking notes app. Like, I see it all the time. Like, Dad, what's my email password? Oh, wait, never mind. I have it. And they open up the notes app and it'll be there. I'm like, come on. You're killing me here. How How... Strong? Do you guys believe that the the I think the password lock feature on the Notes app? Do you think that's pretty safe? Those are things that my kids use, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to argue with you guys right now because I don't have enough data. So I think my kids are predictable enough that I can figure it out, and I and I have because my son he's like, I can't remember what it is. I'm like, well, let's think about this. <laughs> you know what I mean? We were able to to get it, but I I've never tried to like brute force it or anything like that. Have you guys? Yeah. No. I haven't, so. Yeah, you don't necessarily need to unlock the phone. You just have to download a backup of the phone. So that's how you can, when you can swap the SIM, get the SMS code, and then um, access the, the backup. Well, no, we're talking about like um, the, I don't think that the, the note that is like, that is password protected itself. Oh, okay. So if they, have, if they have password protection, so that assumes a couple things that, number one, you're password protecting the Notes app. And there there are a number of mitigations to this this problem. Like you can, number one, use a password manager, use MFA, password protect things. The Find My feature in uh, in uh, for Apple, you know, find my iPhone, find my iPad. They have a remote wipe, so you can remotely wipe the device too and prevent you know new devices from restoring from backup. But... You know, all all that stuff has to be set up beforehand. No one thinks about it until their phone's stolen. Like, oh yeah, I really should turn that on. There's a yeah. you guys go ahead. Oh, thank you. Yeah, there's a new feature in iOS 15 that if your phone is stolen and they turn it off, that both find my iPhone and the messages says that, like you know, please contact this person. Will stay on the phone regardless. I think that's pretty sweet. 
That's what not going to end bad better, in an alley. <laughs> I, I think what would be even better is you ever seen those guys that um, like leave a phone or these YouTube videos of these guys that leave a phone sitting next to a guy that's sleeping at a bus station or a bus stop. Then the guys go to take the phone as they're as they're walking away. They get zapped. The, 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 the person that's stealing gets zapped by voltage or something like that. And it's so hilarious because you can't imagine how many people fall for this. And if we just had that feature, Apple or Android, it would be totally worth it to see someone try to wipe that phone from you or swipe that phone from you. And you could like, you know, click on your watch or something like that and they get zapped with 15,000 volts or some electricity or something like that. That would be cool. I I would pay extra for that. I would. I would. Or a case. There you go. Maybe we can make a case that does that so it activates if they don't have the automatic lock feature or if they like if they don't have the right passcode to get in. You better patent that before this uh, podcast is released. I know. You hear it? <laughs> Got that? That's right. right. Dollar idea. You heard it here first on the Pebcac. So. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the other the other defense against that is just disable SMS-based password recovery wherever possible. We've talked endlessly about how SMS is not secure. It's not a good way to secure things, even for like second factor or even account recovery. Uh, there are much better ways to do it. And SMS is not not one of them. Agreed. Yeah, but it is interesting how they've pivoted from just chopping the device to actually using this to steal like banking passwords. They can log into your bank account. They can initiate transfers. And it's just things you wouldn't think about. Like if somebody steals my wallet, the first thing I do is I cancel my credit cards, have to get a new ID and everything. But if someone steals your phone, like the first thing you think about is to change your banking password like that. That's just not something that you think about. Yeah, I, I'm more on the line of I got to wipe this thing. I got to find a way to wipe the phone before it gets out so they can have the phone because I, I always have four, four or five generations behind the, the latest. So they could have my iPhone 8. <laughs> they're not stealing it for the resale value. Yeah, they're not stealing that for the resale value. They're maybe stealing it for parts because they can't find any more iPhone 8s on the market. So. <laughs> All right, on to our last topic, and this topic is going to be a rotating segment. And this week's topic is, if you got called to be an employment reference, but you knew the person was not a good candidate because they were either toxic to work with or just not a good employee, what are some indirect ways you can tell the employer without directly bad-mouthing them? And I've, I haven't been in this particular situation where somebody called me up or I got a reference call and this person was a bad person. They, somebody usually gives me a heads up to let them know they're calling in. I'm, I'm always truthful. I, I, I tell the truth, but I won't lie to a, to a reference. But I think the best way around this is just to tell that person, uh, if they ask you, just say, you know, I'm not, I'm not comfortable giving that recommendation and hopefully they accept that. But if they do it without asking you, just say, tell the employer, I didn't give them permission to use me as a reference. And Number one, that's the truth. Number two, that speaks a lot about the person that they didn't give that give give me a heads up that I would be a reference. And I think that's that's a good way to let the potential employer know that this person probably isn't going to be a good fit. So I'll, I'll go first since you know I, 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 I I've done this before. Um, I've been a ma- been a manager and I'm a manager again. And if I was called and asked if there was a reference, I'd say yes. Uh, Chris Louie did work here from 2011 to 2017. Just leave it at that. (laughs) 
And if they ask, well, can you? I'm like, I am not legally uh, um, obliged or cannot. Uh, I can only confirm that Chris Louis worked here from 2011 to 2017. And that probably without necessarily breaking any specific laws around um, reference or employment uh, is how I would answer that. I don't think anything positive ever comes out of being indirect about something. So I'm the kind of guy that's going to say, don't hire him. He's a jerk. And uh, the last thing you want is for him to get that job and then uh, not perform. And then it comes back at you to say, why'd you recommend this guy? Yeah, you vouched for him. So obviously, I I think if it was the current organization that we work at, right, I'd have to look into this, but I think the appropriate response is like, hey, I'm not even allowed to do that, right? Like this is something that you have to go to HR for. Um, I think that maybe an indirect way would be, uh, you know, I don't know much about Ryan Payne, but I do know that he's not rehirable. I guess that's, you know, he's that's, um, that's one way of doing it. But I'm, I'm kind of with Ryan on this one. Like I'm the only thing I really have left in life is my word. And so I don't want to sign off on anybody if they if they really are trash. Thank God I haven't had this situation happen yet. Uh, I have been uh, pinged about a couple of people that they might go work for. And I'm just like, dude, this is this this conversation warrants warrants a phone call and not a text message so we can uh, just clear the air real quick. Especially if they're going to a competitor, right? It's like, oh, yeah, hire him. He's great. <laughs> oh, yeah. Great <laughs> reviews. Great reviews. Guys, the awesome. Well. Yeah. <laughs> Leads from the front. Mm. <laughs> we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, our guest Ryan is up. All right, guys. <clears throat> See if I can live up to uh, your guys' dad jokes. And being that I'm not a dad, I'll need your guys' approval afterwards but uh after the sun's game uh, on tuesday uh, i went to a karaoke bar and i got kicked out after singing danger zone five times so apparently i exceeded the maximum number of logins attempts that was a good one kenny login all right (laughs) (laughs) nice it's punny it's techie I'm proud of it. And as you should be, as you should be. All right, to wrap things up, some U.S. states are trying to ban ransomware payments to stop the scourge, but it likely won't have any measurable effect. House lawmakers are trying to make cybersecurity literacy a thing. Brazilian iPhone thieves are hacking into victim bank accounts. And the hosts come up with some creative ways not to badmouth and also to directly badmouth while being a reference. That's all we have for this week. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. And we'd love it if you were to share this podcast with somebody else. The best way to find us is to search for the PevCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For my co-hosts, Glenn Medina and Brian Deach, and our guest, Ryan Payne, I'm Chris Louie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you all next week. And as always... Have a nice day. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Have a great week.